Where Kindness Lives is designed to cultivate a kinder world by helping to inform and inspire. Hosted by Jenny Sager, head of Nextdoor Australia, the neighbourhood network connecting you to what truly matters so you can belong. We'll chat to the most thought-provoking individuals paving the way to positive change and hear from neighbours who deliver small acts of kindness every day. So come on a journey to Where Kindness Lives. Hi, I'm Jenny Sager, and today my guest is much-loved psychologist, social researcher, author, and kindness warrior, Hugh McKay. If it's a worthwhile cause, Hugh has definitely been a part of it. From the National Heart Foundation to the Sydney Peace Prize, and he's also a fellow of the Australian Psychological Society. He's written more than 20 books, 20 books, including Australia Reimagined and The Kindness Revolution. Hugh McKay, welcome to Where Kindness Lives. Thank you very much, Jenny. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm going to start with a really controversial topic. Am I saying your name right? It is Hugh McKay, isn't it? It, it is, yes. I set the record straight because all these years you hear so many journalists say Hugh McKay, and then yes. we spoke previously and you said, no, it's actually McKay. It is McKay. I just want to start by asking you what kindness means to you. How do you define kindness? Well, my definition might surprise you, and in order to explain it, can I just take one step back to remind us all of something so blindingly self-evident you'd think I wouldn't even bother mentioning it, but we humans happen to belong to a social species. <laughs> like many other species on the planet, we absolutely need each other. We are hopeless in isolation. We need groups communities, families, neighbourhoods of all kinds to nurture us and sustain us and to give us that all-important sense of belonging, which is so fundamental to the mental and emotional health of a member of a social species. Now, because we belong to a social species, sorry for this long answer, um, because we belong to a social species, our deepest psychological need is to have that sense of belonging to feel as though we're being taken seriously, we're being noticed, appreciated, included, listened to. So that's all background to my definition, because knowing all that, my definition of kindness is anything we do for another person to show them that we've noticed them, to show them that we take them seriously, that we appreciate them, that we acknowledge them, that we include them. Uh, and when I say anything we do, I mean anything from a smile or a wave as you pass someone in the street saying hello, commenting on the weather when you're at a bus stop with someone, anything that says, I see you. I think we've all probably gotten even worse at listening, haven't we, with, you know, all the, the Zoom calls. Ironically, we're on a Zoom call right now. But, um, you know, the virtual meetings and I notice people, there's so many distractions that you're in the middle of a meeting or you're talking to somebody, whether it's in person or on a virtual call, and you can just tell that they're multitasking. They're doing other things at the same time. Or as you said, in person, they're looking around to see if there's someone better to talk to or somebody's got something more important to say. And, I, and have you noticed that? Have we gotten worse at listening? Yeah, I, I do think the more we've relied on technology for exchanging information, the more uh, it's become a sort of a transactional, um, you know, data heading one way, then heading the other way. That's not what human interactions are really like. One of, one of the reasons why people say at the end of a one-hour Zoom meeting, 
but they're completely exhausted, much more tired than they would be if they'd been in a one-hour face-to-face meeting, uh, is that uh, although we, I mean, at this moment, people who are listening to us can't see us, but at this moment, I'm looking right at your eyes, but on your screen, it looks as if I'm looking below your eye line. Now I look into the camera, it looks as if I'm looking at you. I mean, this is a strange game we're playing with the technology. We're not actually seeing each other at all. We're both looking at a screen uh, and we're both responding to images on a screen and, and sound waves that are reaching us via the technology. It's very, very different from the complexity and subtlety and richness of a face-to-face exchange. It's interesting to think about how technology is contributing to that social divide, essentially. And that's actually exactly why Nextdoor was created. So the co-founders actually looked back at how technology, dating all the way back to the 1950s when the television was invented and people started watching TV while eating dinner or having TV dinners and they looked at that and read some books, including a really famous one called Bowling Alone, which you may or may not have read. Um, and they just thought, well, how can we use tech for good and actually try to nudge people to meet local people in their community and reestablish what was the original social network, the neighborhood, because we know that has a positive impact on mental health and well-being. And so just out of that, I'd love to hear, given that you are I should say one of them, I was a guest on somebody else's podcast recently and they referred to you, they bought your name up when I was talking about kindness and they referred to you as the godfather of kindness in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) So given that you are the godfather of kindness in Australia, um, what do you think is the relationship between kindness and loneliness? The the best way I can describe it is um, kindness is the antidote. To loneliness. I mean, lonely, we, we are now a society, like many other Western societies, we are a society in the grip of an epidemic of loneliness. Um, before the pandemic and the lockdowns and the social distancing and all of that, um, uh, in 2019, the Australian Psychological Society, in conjunction with Swinburne University, did a national survey which reported that 25% of Australian adults report feeling lonely for most of every week. And by the way, just as a footnote to that, it's it's more than 30% of people in the 18 to 24 age group who also coincidentally happen to be our heaviest users of social media. So you can be connected but lonely. But lonely, but the but the cure for I mean there are there are many ways to tackle the problem of loneliness, but the primary one is at the neighborhood level where we say, I am a neighbor. I didn't choose any of these people to be my neighbors, uh, and I don't like some of them, and I don't agree with some of them, uh, and I'm very different culturally or ethnically or religiously or politically from some of them. Doesn't matter. There's this very special category of human obligation called being a neighbour. It's like a biological obligation we have because we need neighbourhoods to sustain us and nurture us. Didn't we discover in the pandemic, as we always do in a crisis, the first port of call is the neighbour, the neighbourhood. Now, what that says to me is in my neighbourhood, there are bound to be some people suffering from loneliness. That is not their problem. That is my problem. 
they are part of my neighbourhood and I am a neighbour. I need to be alert to the people who are at risk of social isolation and therefore at risk of loneliness and reach out to them. What do you do if you are someone who... Let's talk about both ends. So let's talk about the end the, the end first, where you're someone who actually is feeling a little bit lonely, but you're too hesitant to kind of put yourself out there in that way and, and say, oh, does anyone want to go for a walk? Or what, are there a few practical tips that you could give of, of how, how do you get over that, that hump? We, we need to remind ourselves, I think daily, we need to remind ourselves that we belong to this species not to some other species. You might wish that you'd been born into some other species where we were all self-contained individuals and we had everything we needed and we didn't really need each other. Sorry, that's not us. We're humans and what that means is we do need each other and we are hopeless in isolation. And if you're feeling lonely, that is a very important signal that you are suffering from some form of social isolation. You can even feel lonely in a crowded house. I mean, there's no doubt uh, loneliness is not something that only happens when people are socially isolated, but the risk of it is greater. But if you are feeling lonely, then it is with uh, the, the, the trigger, I think, for doing something about it is to remember your need of other people, to remember that you belong to a social species and you are only really able to be flourishing. You're only going to be experiencing the richness of what it means to be a human person when you are in relationships with other people, when you're making contact, and in particular, face-to-face, -face, actual, not, not via technology, but actual eye contact. I mean, neuroscientists are telling us that our mental and emotional health depends on getting a daily dose of eye contact, not like we're doing, Jenny, via the screen, but actual eye contact. It's like an emotional uh, superhighway to the brain. It connects us. I mean, you know how it connects you because if you're having a conversation with someone and they refuse to make eye contact with you, you feel as though you're not connected at all. It's a magical thing that happens. So we've got to remind ourselves that's the kind of species we belong to. So if you are feeling lonely, I mean, to say get over it would be cruel and insensitive, but, but the way to get over it is to remember what it means to be human to remember that we all exist in a kind of shimmering, vibrating web of interdependence and interconnectedness. And if we feel as though we're slipping off that web, that is dangerous for us. I mean, social isolation is not only associated with loneliness, anxiety, depression. It's also associated with hypertension, increased risk of hypertension, um, um, sleep, sleep disorders, increased vulnerability uh, to addictions um, uh, and uh, inflammation and even a reduced life expectancy. I mean, that's what it... So, so that just reminds us that what it means to be human is to be in touch with other people. So if you're feeling lonely, you know the solution. The solution is to make contact... And that doesn't mean in a pathetic way, but it does mean if you go to a coffee shop, say hello to someone. If you're going to get on a bus, 
Don't ignore the other person at the bus stop. Say hello. If you're walking down the street uh, or you walk past a neighbour, stop and say hello. That 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 eye contact, that social face-to-face interaction is enormously therapeutic. And if you're not getting your daily dose, well, then it's a bit like depriving yourself of food and drink. So, Hugh, I'm just going to read a quote from your book. Um, It says, don't wait for the next disaster to bring out the best in us, and certainly don't wait for governments to take the initiative. The revolution can start in the street where you live. And I read that quote while reading your book, and I just thought, my gosh, that is exactly what Nextdoor is all about, starting at the community and the neighborhood level. So just talk us through when you wrote that, what you meant, and also how do people do that? How do you start that revolution in your street? Yes. Yes. I think one of the things that the pandemic has taught us is the crucial importance of the local neighbourhood. I think of the neighbourhood as as like the test bed of how civilised we are because it's not a mark of a civilised society that we only hang out with people we like and agree with and are ethnically similar to. The mark of a civilised society is that we show kindness, we show respect, Uh, we show compassion towards everybody. We engage with the society. That doesn't mean that we don't have special friends, of course. It doesn't mean that there aren't some people we really love in an emotional sense. Um, But the wonderful thing about being human is that we have the capacity to show kindness in the absence of any affection or any emotion at all. You can be kind to someone you don't even know and will never see again. You can be kind to someone that you disagree with furiously. So this is the mark of how civilised we are, whether we are able to develop and express our capacity for kindness. And the test of that is the local neighbourhood. Now, we'd reached the situation in Australia, as in America, as in Canada, as many countries in Western Europe, uh, where it had become almost an urban cliche, Jenny, that people would say, oh, I don't know my neighbours. And they never said that with pride or pleasure. They never said, oh, at last I've achieved the situation I've been striving for for years. I finally don't know my neighbours. What a relief. <laughs> no, they always said it wistfully, rather sadly ruefully, as though I don't know my neighbours and there's something wrong with that. I remember listening to someone uh, describing himself. He, go, he was living in a in a in an inner city terrace house, uh, um, inner west terrace house in Sydney, saying he went to bed every night and put his head on the pillow. Uh, his bed was up again. It's the common wall between him and the next house. And, the, and he knew on the other side of that wall someone else was putting their head on their pillow and he didn't know them, didn't know who they were, didn't know their name, seen them, but never made any contact. Uh, now, we say that sort of thing knowing there's something fundamentally wrong with it. So this is what I mean when I talk about the revolution starting in our street. Make sure you know your neighbours. At the very least, know two or three up that way and two or three down that way and the two or three across the road so that there is a sense of there being a little neighbourhood heard that you're all part of. Not that you're going to have 
a pizza together every Friday night, but just that you know each other. You know that person. You know if you were in trouble, you could just go and knock on their door or they could come and knock on your door. I think it's crucial not to have grand ideas of how we can make society uh, a kinder, more compassionate place. Um, of course, that's what we all dream of. If you ever dream of a better society, it's the same dream as everyone else's. You dream of more peace, more kindness, less violence, less cynicism, more compassion, uh, more egalitarianism, uh, etc. And we can make it happen. But we make it happen in our own street. We did some research with, with Swinburne University last year that actually looked at those small acts of kindness at the neighborhood level and the impact that they have. So just like you mentioned, things like waving, saying hello to somebody you don't know, smiling over the fence, um, you know, bringing your neighbor's bins in, all COVID safe, simple acts of kindness. And we actually found that the impact of those acts of kindness was massive and had a positive impact on mental health and well-being and that you actually only need to know six. We were able to quantify that number, six neighbors to start having and, and feeling the impacts that those positive impacts on your mental health and well-being. So you actually got the number right when you said two down the street, two up the road, two across the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that's right. There's a, there's a lot of a lot of um, uh, sociology behind that um, that, that figure. I mean, the, the 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 typical human herd is six to eight people. Uh, a committee works really well if it's six to eight people, and doesn't work too well if it's more than that. In my research program, it went, when I used the group discussion method, which I did in association with personal interviewing, the group sizes were always six to eight because they were basically friendship groups or groups of colleagues. And most, most friendships, most, most people, if they talk about their close friends, they're talking about six or seven or eight people. It's, a, it's amazing how often that, that number comes up. It's a, it's a herd that's big enough to give us the sense of belonging, but small enough for us to feel that we know all the people in that herd. Now, we belong to larger tribes as well, uh, but they don't give us the same psychological uh, and satisfaction that being part of the herd uh, involves. And, of course, because we are herd animals, um, to feel cut off from the herd is distressing for us. That's where that's why loneliness, when you, which is really you could define loneliness as feeling cut off from the herd, uh, that's why it's associated with all these other um, mental and physical or, or, or increased uh, risk of mental and physical illness. So interesting. We're really pretty basic animals, really, if you just go back to it, aren't we? Um, how do you tell the difference between kindness and just niceness or, or politeness? And I, I think the part two of that question, and especially as a parent of three young boys, how do you teach kindness? You know, how, how would I teach them the difference between being kind and just being polite or nice to somebody? Mm. Yes. Well, first of all, I, I need to say I'm not against politeness. <laughs> I think it's uh, very important to teach our kids courtesy. Um, but it's a different kind of thing. I mean, politeness, courtesy is just observing the social conventions uh, that oils uh, the machinery of, of, um, of social cohesion. It's an important, an important part of belonging to this species. Kindness is another step, a step beyond niceness 
because you can be kind to someone. I mean, nice is a, is a bit of a slippery term. You, you can be kind to someone while you're terminating a relationship. You can be kind to someone while you're disciplining. You can be kind to a child while you're disciplining them. Um, you can have a robust argument with someone you disagree with, but you can speak your mind kindly. Uh, and, and I think uh, the, the big difference is that kindness is something we are doing for the other person. And we don't do kindness to feel better about ourselves. We may well feel better about ourselves. That can be a collateral benefit, but that's not a motivation. Otherwise, that's selfish. Uh, to be kind is to be responding to the needs of another person. How do we teach it? Great question. Uh, we teach it in the two time-honoured ways that education mostly happens. Overwhelmingly, uh, strategy number one, by example, we, we teach our children to be kind by being kind. We teach our children to understand how you can disagree with someone kindly by disagreeing with our partner in front of the children kindly. Uh, we, we, we demonstrate even when we are needing to correct uh, or perhaps even punish a child for something that, that we can show that this can be done kindly uh, with a compassionate heart. So them seeing us is by far the most powerful influence on what they will become. But we need to go beyond that to be explicit in our teaching as well, to introduce talk about kindness. I mean, when the, kid, when the kids come home from school, it's very tempting to say, what did you learn today? And there's nothing wrong with saying, what did you learn today? But a prior, a prior question could be, what, what, did you, what, what did you notice any acts of kindness today? Did you see someone being really kind to someone else? Or what was the kindest thing someone said to you today? Or were you kind to anyone today? Uh, to keep it on the agenda. Uh, you know, in the family conversation at night, uh, over dinner perhaps, to talk about something you saw today that demonstrated kindness in action and to show that you admired that. And if it happened to you, how much you appreciated it. Not to brag about how kind you were to other people, um, but, to, but to constantly uh, introduce the idea that kindness is a really important human quality that we need to develop if we're going to build uh, social harmony. I mean, this is the great human project, isn't it? To, to create and maintain social harmony and kindness, compassion, mutual respect. These are the way we do it. I am going to give one quick humble kindness brag that my, my eldest son, my 10-year-old, actually won the kindness award at school this year, which made me probably more excited than any other award my kids have ever won because they certainly hear me talk about kindness all the time. Congratulations to your son and congratulations to that school for putting <laughs> kindness on the agenda to the point where they're going to award a prize. I mean, we do... The, the day will come when there'll be no such thing as a kindness award because the revolution will have happened. Because kindness is not actually heroic. Kindness is actually being human. Kindness is being true to what Abraham Lincoln described as the better angels of our nature. And that's not heroic 
or exceptional when we're all just being human. It's the way humans are with each other. You read a quote by Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln, one by Samuel Johnson. I'm going to read you one by somebody else who I hugely admire, yourself. <laughs> you actually said that ego is the great enemy of kindness, which I thought was such a profound statement. Can you explain that one a little bit? I, I do think kindness is hu humanity's most precious asset, and it is extraordinary how we undervalue it. And by the way, we need things like pandemics, floods, fires, etc., uh, to to jolt us into remembering this. Um, but it's our greatest asset. But the thing that distracts us from kindness is our ego-driven agenda. When we are driven by personal ambition or competitiveness or acquisitiveness or anything else that's designed to satisfy the ego then kindness is the casualty. Ego is, is not only the enemy of, the kind of kindness, it's a barrier to social cohesion. It gets in the way of our open inter relationships with other people. It gets in the way of our attentive and empathic listening. Why do I have to listen to this? I, I don't find this interesting. I don't agree with this person. That's the ego saying, come on, it's all about me. Well, no, it's not. I'm a human. It's all about us. And I have a responsibility to listen to this person that I don't agree, who I don't agree with. And by the way, that doesn't make me some kind of pussycat. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a pusher. I'm not going to be a doormat. I'm not going to be soft in the head. I'm, I'm going to hear this person say what they say that I disagree with so profoundly. And then... With kindness and respect, I'm going to say, I get what you're saying. You're saying this, 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 this. Yeah, well, look, I, I see it all a bit differently. Can I, can I tell you how I see it? It's nothing to do with agreeing with everybody or being acquiescent. Uh, it's just to do with being open to other people. And the ego gets in the way. If we think it's all about us, then we've lost the plot as humans. One thing we always do in this podcast is we share with you a recent next door neighbor story, which we feel like really kind of epitomizes kindness. And so I'd love to share this one from Roeville, Victoria with you and hear your thoughts about it. This is from a single mother of two named Michelle. And what happened to her was she had her fence damaged by a car accident in the neighborhood. And her neighbor, Richard, was walking his dog in the days after and he noticed the damage. So he was, you know, a bit of a handyman, and um, he had a few fence palings at home lying around. So he knocked on her door, offered to help, and just like that, fixed the fence. It was good as new, didn't charge Michelle anything. And then um, we, we saw the post on next door, which said, thank you so much. I just want to let everybody know that there are still nice, friendly people in this world dropping a little thank you to him this week. And then she went on in the, in the post and explained what happened. Well, it's, it's, the, the first reaction is to say it's like heaven, isn't it? And, but then the second reaction is to say um, that that is a perfect example of non-heroic behaviour. That is a neighbour being a neighbour. This person's fence uh, is, has been broken. 
I've got the, the know-how to fix that and the equipment to fix it, so naturally I'll fix it. And it's wonderful when it happens and it's, and it's awful when it doesn't happen, but those sort of things are happening millions of times every day in Australia. If, if you watch the news at night, you'd think that all that was happening was people were shooting each other or crashing their cars or having conflict and so on. I mean, the news tends to be the bad news because it's about the exceptions. And that's why it's news. Um, it's what news is, what, what some unusual, amazing thing that happened. It's not news when Richard fixes Michelle's fence. That's humans behaving like humans. That's neighbours being neighbourly. It's absolutely, no doubt, my favourite part of my job is just reading these stories from all over Australia every single day. And you really do see that kindness is contagious, as you're saying. Like one of my favourite ones a few years ago, I actually used to have a query set up just to search for the words lemons, because so many people that had lemon trees were just constantly leaving bowls, lemon trees, orange trees, um, a fruit on their front step for neighbors to take. And one of them, this was actually in, in Canberra in, in your neck of the woods. Um, she left a bowl of lemons out on the front steps. And then about an hour later, she posted again and said, oh my gosh, the lemons went away so quickly. I'm leaving another bowl of lemons out. And then those went away. And what you saw in the comments of the post were people actually saying, oh, thanks so much for the lemons. I left you a jar of my homemade jam in return. Or, oh, thanks so much for the lemons. I left you a pie. And you could just see the chain happening. Isn't it a lovely thing to belong to this species, to belong to a species where people do that sort of stuff routinely? And it's very easy to knock humanity. Oh, we go to war, we kill each other. There are rapes and murders and... Um, all that and all that stuff happens, and it's news, and it's exceptional, and we can learn to compete ruthlessly. We can learn to be violent if we have a wounded childhood and a poor example. All that sort of stuff is also possible. But the overwhelming truth about this species is that it's a wonderful species in which people actually do care for each other. Absolutely. Well, we could talk forever. I do want to get to, we, we have a fun thing coming up called the Kind Carousel, where we'll throw some rapid fire kind questions at you. But first, obviously have to ask you, Hugh, what's next for you? Are you already writing your next new book? I mean, my gosh, you turn out books like, I don't even know how you do it, but what is it? What's next for you? Yes, uh, it is another book, um, but it's a, it's a novel. Um, I mean, um, People who read my non-fiction books like The Kindness Revolution may notice that I'm, I'm very keen always on telling stories that illustrate the themes of the book. And that's, that's the researcher in me, I think. I mean, I've learned about human nature through 60 years of, of research, mostly spent listening to people telling their stories. So I, you can't beat people's stories. Um, but every now and then I like to tell a story that's not part of a non-fiction book, but is actually just a novel. Uh, so I've had several novels published. Mostly people don't buy them, um, but uh, I keep hoping that they will buy the next one. And so that I've just finished the next one and I'm in the, in the tense situation of having submitted it to the publisher, but not yet having a verdict. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a play on words here with the word kind. So it's a rapid fire five questions, a little bit of a way to find out a little bit more about you, but it will be fun. So here we go. 
kind of movies do you like to watch? Uh, a very, very broad taste. Um, I'm a sucker for rom-coms, but I also like Scandi Noir. <laughs> and um, uh, what I'm not keen on is science fiction. What kind of food do you like to order? Uh, well, because I have um, some digestive problems, that's a, that's a little burden I carry, I eat very plain, simple food. And if you think of a public figure, could be someone, celebrity or, or just a, a public figure, someone in the spotlight, that really is showing kindness at the moment, who comes to mind? We've, we have seen some politicians showing kindness. We've seen Angela Merkel showing kindness to refugees. We've seen uh, Jacinda Ardern um, showing kindness in extraordinary circumstances after the Christchurch massacre in New Zealand. Uh, so politicians can do it. I see it more uh, in just in the local neighbourhood than I do on the large scale. I mean, the, the greatest the greatest act of kindness, I suppose, that any of us have witnessed in our lifetime, um, well, it's before the lifetime of some people listening, no doubt, uh, was Nelson Mandela. I mean, he's no longer alive, of course, but to suffer what he suffered of, what, 25 years, whatever it was, imprisonment, and to, and to walk out of that prison and forgive those who had imprisoned him and get on with his life and create the new republic of South Africa. You know, it's like a breathtaking example to all of us that under the most negative, uh, difficult conditions of hardship and privation, the, the, the candle of kindness can still flicker. Okay, last one. If you could try your hand at another kind of profession, what would you choose? Uh, I'd probably be a musician. Another thing I think I could probably, uh, would probably have loved would have been being a clinical psychologist as opposed to a social psychologist. I mean, as a social psychologist, I've loved analysing what's happening, how people are dealing with social change and, and learning about human nature. Um, and, and I think you know, some people have said that it's been very helpful to them to read my social analysis and they understand themselves a bit better by reading um, my description of human nature in these various books. Um, but I think also um, people who are dealing one-to-one, face-to-face in a counselling situation, that, that is a heroic um, uh, role to play in our society. everything that you do to encourage kindness throughout Australia. We are so lucky to have chatted with you today. I know it's just one conversation and many more to come, but thank you for joining us today. And again, you can pick up the kindness revolution now. Thanks so much, Hugh. Great pleasure. Thank you, Jenny.